Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. Before we kick off the show, I just wanted to take a moment to remind you that the ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is taking place in Barbados this summer. This, by default, gives all of my fellow cricket fanatics the perfect excuse to go and book a holiday to Barbados in June and experience firsthand the euphoric atmosphere at the Kensington Oval, the cricket mecca of the Caribbean. If the cricket alone isn't enough to tempt you, then let me be the one to remind you that a trip to Barbados can also include leisurely strolls along the breathtaking coastline, mouth-watering flavours of the world-class Bayesian cuisine, and, of course, plenty of rum. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados, the best place to be a cricket fan. to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm Jared Kimber and with me is Ashes winner Steve Harmson. And a lot has gone on this summer, this weird cricket summer of ours. But tonight, there is only one place to start. Jimmy, 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 Jimmy Anderson. 600 test wickets. What an incredible effort. Jimmy Anderson has struck for England, Pakistan, 109 for three. But that is Jimmy Anderson's 600th test wicket. I think to question Jimmy's ability and um, his record, do that at your own peril. That was an inspiration, isn't it? I mean, 600 test wickets, I mean, wow. Anderson now balls to Campbell. Campbell is driving in the air. He's a What a spectacular catch! I think anyone who doubts him is... I don't think very sensible because he proved today again how world-class he is. Look, he's a world-class performer and he just doesn't bowl bad balls and, you know, he's getting better and better. As I say, he's the GOAT, isn't he? He's GOAT bowling. Well, that was the players talking about Jimmy Anderson and what an incredible effort this has been. But I do have Steve Harmison with me and Harmy, I've been thinking about this a lot. I wonder how many scientists, medical staff, uh, maybe some sort of uh, leather apparatus to keep you away from the bar, we would have needed to get you to 600 test wickets. Oh, I don't, uh, honestly, I've got no idea. <laughs> I think the bar would have, would have been a good start, to be fair, keeping me away from that. I might have got a few more, but... No, I've just spoke to Goffey about it, and it's just it's a phenomenal achievement to, to think, yeah, I played in Jimmy's first test match, um, and you've seen this sort of baby-faced 19-year-old who had everything. You know, Jared, he, you know, Goffey just asked me there, he said, did you see you know, when Jimmy first started? And Goffey made a, a, had a stat where I think he, he didn't average under 30 until somewhere like 40-odd test matches. And mm. the thing with Jimmy was, Jimmy had an away swinger, he had an in-swinger, he had a bouncer, a slower ball, a Yorker. He had them all. And he bowled them beautifully. But the problem was he bowled them all in the first over. So a lot of captains struggled to set fields for Jimmy because he went, he, he, he did too much too early. And I think once he got into his career and realised how to set a batsman up and became the experience and then became the leader of the pack. And when me and Hoggy went in New Zealand that time, that was a, a sort of watershed moment for English cricket, bringing Broad and Anderson in and leaving them in and letting them lead the attack. And they've done it. Both of them have done it beautifully. Because Jimmy, Jimmy will say, Jimmy will be. I would say, I wouldn't say he'll be hitting all the attention, but I, I, he'd be, he'd be sitting back and thinking, well, I wouldn't have been able to do it without me, mate. And I'm sure Stuart was saying that not, not short of about four weeks ago when he got to 500. I don't think I could have done that with without Jimmy. So it's been a, a wonderful achievement, and I think, yeah, tested, testament to the, his character. And the way he's sort of disciplined himself to get better and better and better with age, but also to stay hungry to take wickets and the drive to 
you know, keep fitness, his fitness levels up when, you know, me and Goffey were just talking about it, when we know where, when your body's aching and coming back for that second spell and the next day when it's cold and, you know, to do that again and again and again into your 38th year, there's going to be a lot of nice things said about Jimmy Anderson. I don't think I can say it anymore because I think I've already said them. But what a what an unbelievable achievement from a, an absolute gentleman of a person and a fantastic ambassador for English cricket. And it's worth going back to think of what has happened in, in the game since he started. I mean, he's played for so long. And, you know, it's, it's an incredible effort. So if you put it this way, his career started before, his international career started before T20 cricket. Yeah. And during his time, three, te- you know, since, since he made his um, List A debut, uh, for Lanks back back in 2000, three nations have joined Test cricket. Mm. I mean, you know, Bangla- think about how long Bangladesh have been playing. They've basically been playing the same amount of time that Jimmy Anderson has been around. The stress on your body. Now, I know you and him have slightly different bodies. Uh, he's uh, maybe slightly more of a greyhound, um, and you're maybe a, bit, a little bit more of a giant Clydesdale. But the stress of going through the crease over and over again, whether you're doing it in first class level or Test level, but Test level is usually harder because you're playing at your your ultimate and times aren't you absolutely and you know that's what we've just been just been talking about you know the, the injuries that Goffey's had on his knees and you know my, my ankles were and my back is now it uh, you've got to have an element of luck Jared and I'm mm. sure Jimmy will say that once he finishes playing I was extremely lucky that you know the injuries I had were early in my career and I was managed to play through them um, and, and and get through and get my body supple enough to keep going and and the one thing about Jimmy and I think this is a a lesson to a lot of bowling coaches and a lot of young bowlers that Jimmy bowls overs. Yeah, and I mean, he bowls overs. When I was playing cricket for England alongside Anderson, Jimmy would bowl a ridiculous amount at, you know, just one stump, you know, at cones. He would bowl for hours and hours and hours. And when, when Jimmy got left out of the world, when his one-day career came to a, a close, Jimmy never thought, well, I've got seven test matches this summer. I'm just going to play seven. I'll play for Lanks one or two times. He played a lot of cricket for Lancashire in between times. So he knew his body needed to bowl. He needed to keep it going. And that's how he kept, basically, his, his driving enthusiasm to stay fit. When it comes to the, you mentioned that, it's a great point you mentioned about 2002 when the 2020, when the world cricket became about white ball 2020 and the financial um, rewards that come with that. What you, what I found out is then there was batsmen that was now how, how far can I hit it rather than have the Jeffrey Boycott, Michael Atherton, perfect technique, get past that sort of thing and you know, defending it back down the ground. When you, do, when you go into the world of trying to hit the ball, all of a sudden you lose your technique, you lose your shape sometimes. And in the last 10 years, I don't think there's been anybody ever in the history of the game but Jimmy, this is what Jimmy's been so good at in the last 10 years, at exploiting weakness in anybody, mm. any batsman's technique. If you had a flaw in your technique and you batted in the top six or anywhere around the world and you came across Jimmy Anderson, especially with a Duke ball, if you had a little flaw, Jimmy exploited it. He didn't exploit it straight away, but he set you up to, to get you in a position. And sometimes it was like sitting watching and thinking, go on, Jim, just put him out of his misery. Mm. And that's how good this guy was, good, good a guy he is. And I still think he's got a little bit more left in him. Just to talk about what we were talking about then before the test was drawn, uh, my analogy has always been so... It's a bit of a uh, you know mistake of Jimmy to be born in the same era as Dale Steyn, who is was such an incredible bowler on so many different uh, levels that he was always compared to to Jimmy. I always thought of Jimmy as sort of Batman and Dale Steyn as Superman, in that there's almost nothing that Dale Steyn can't do, but the things that... Uh, Jimmy could do are uh, so specialist and so amazing in and of their own right. Yeah, Jared, absolutely. Yeah, they're both fine, fine bowlers. And fortunately enough, I played in um, Dio Stain's first Test match out in, in in South Africa in the the the, the four five series, I think it was. And you know, what a fantastic bowler Dio Stain was. And I think if if you listen to Anderson and Stain talk with each other. Uh, during lockdown, I think on like the TV had a podcast on mm. it. A podcast on it. It was fascinating to to listen to two great bowlers talk to each other and about each other um, in a way which was very very similar. The wrist bolt upright, swinging the ball late, um, and at at decent pace. Because Jimmy, you know, Jimmy's not always been 38 and bowling 82 <laughs> mile an hour. Jimmy did bowl at at, at, a, at a good a good speed. Dale Spain played the majority of his career with a, a Kookaburra ball. Um, on 
on pitches which weren't as probably as helpful as as, as England. I'm, and I'm loath to say that because I don't want to take anything away from, from Jimmy Anderson. This was the cards that Jimmy Anderson was dealt. These were the conditions and he exploited, exploited them you know, wonderfully well. But when you look at the list of fast bowlers, um, which are... You know, I have got more than sort of 400 wickets. You know, Kapil Dev, uh, Dale Stane, Stuart Broad, Courtney Walsh, Jimmy Anderson and Glenn McGrath. It's, it's an unbelievable list of bowlers. And one, we have been fortunate enough not just to have one. We've been fortunate to have two mm. in that time. Um, and I still think, I arguably still think they're the best we've still got. Well, it's an incredible thought because, you know, you can compare him to other bowlers. But when you look at who he is, so, you know, the ability that he had in, especially in England, but also the fact that his career sort of perfectly overlapped with the professional setup of English cricket. So mm. even if you look at yourself or uh, Matthew Hoggard, um, Goffey, uh, you know, Caddick, I don't think any of you were the sort of athletes that maybe could have bowled at that level for that long um, in the way that Jimmy was. So he had the advantage of having the most professional international setup that we've ever had um, in cricket at the exact right time that he came through. Not that it always went well for him. There was the Troy Cooley moment where the Australian bowling coach sort of uh, almost ruined him. But but in almost every other way, you know, when it, whether it comes to nutrition or fitness or medical staff or, you know, uh, even being rested, all those sorts of things, English cricket has almost been perfectly set up for someone like Jimmy Anderson. And at the same time, they had someone like him turn up. Yeah, and it, the way he the way he runs here, the way, look, look, he's a slight guy. You mentioned a fall, a, a greyhound, a whippy, somebody who hasn't got a great deal of, of um, impact through the through the crease. So he, he, you know, the 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 stress he puts on his body is it is different to somebody like myself. Hoggy was heavy footed. Mm. Freddie was, yeah, yeah, hit the same, hit the crease hard. Goffey hit the crease hard. Caddick actually wasn't somebody that hit the crease too hard. He seemed to sort of skip through the crease. But when you mentioned there um, about the professional game, I go one step further. And I remember I was talking to, was I talking to Jamie O'Hara on breakfast the other morning, like one that morning last week. And I said, about sport in this country, we have a, a horrible way of identifying young players, whether it be football, whether it be cricket, whether it be rugby, whatever, and identify them at a young age, between the ages of 19 and 21, 22. And then all of a sudden we discard them when they get to 24, if they haven't done as well as what you would like them to do or what, what their results are showing. Where Anderson is probably the anomaly that way because up until what, what Coffey said before, up until he sort of 35, 40 test matches, he was averaging over 30. Now, his turning point, bear in mind, he made his international debut in 2002. The turning point for Jimmy Anderson's career wasn't until probably 2008 in New Zealand when mm. me and Hoggy got dropped for Broad and Anderson. And from then, he's never looked back. And listening to Andrew Strauss, Andrew Strauss on, on the TV just a little bit earlier talking to Rob Key, Keezy asked him a great question. When did you think Jimmy was at his best? And I was expecting Strauss to say around about 10, 11 time. But he actually didn't. He said it was probably after his tenureship as captain. And probably Sir Alistair Cook got the best out of Jimmy Anderson and he's got better and better ever since. So there, Jimmy got, Jimmy's got better and better with age. And if you had gone down the road of what we, we sometimes do in this country where we discard players at 23, 24, and we've done, it, we've done it more so in the batting department than we have in the bowling department, you might have lost Jimmy Anderson, but actually he got better and then realised once them senior bowlers had gone, 2008 me and Hoggy and then Fred had come back for a little bit and then me and Fred eventually went in 2009 he was now the leader of the pack that that 2005 2003 to 2006 gang have all gone now me and Stuart have got to take this by the, the scruff of the neck and we've got to lead this England bowling attack and boy have they done well uh, here's a tweet from Tim Wigmore before we go uh, to a break the journalist from the Telegraph uh, Anderson uh, took 600 wickets at 26. His last 500 were at 25. His last 400 were at 24. His last 300 were at 23. And his last 200 were at 21. And his last 100 were at 22. It does show you just how much better he has got over the years, which is incredible in and of itself. 600 wickets. Must be. It is 500 for Stuart Broad. What a moment. 
into the gallery of greats he goes. It's a sort of form and confidence that you almost want to wrap in cotton wool and, and take everywhere with you, but we know as, as sports people that <laughs> that doesn't happen. Splendid moment for Josh Butler as he goes through to his second Test Match 100. You know, certainly yesterday I felt was, was some of the best I've felt at the crease. You know, I was probably more nervous than Zach was last night, I'd say. So, um, yeah, just delighted to be able to get that. On through the slip cord on that four. Not the most elegant stroke that he has played, but it brings up 200 for Crawley. No, it feels great. I mean, it was... Um... It makes you want it more, so um, hopefully I can get um, a few more to come after this. Jimmy Anderson has struck for England, Pakistan, 109 for three, but that is Jimmy Anderson's 600th test wicket. What a moment for the player. That was an inspiration, isn't it? I mean, 600 test wickets, I mean, wow. As I say, he's the goat, isn't he? He's goat bowling. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. Myself, Jared Kimber, and Ashes winner, Steve Harmison. And what a summer. It has, oh, it's been a weird summer uh, in general life. Uh, and a weird summer in test cricket as well, but also a brilliant one. Harmy, let us get straight into it. Uh, we really need to thank the Pakistan and the West Indian teams for coming over. Let's not forget that, and I think we've mentioned this before on The Cricket Collective, that there are, you know, the death toll in the UK is higher than some of the islands that some of these West Indians come from. And that Pakistan had, what was it, nine or ten players? Ten, uh, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, um, with a positive coronavirus test uh, before they came over. You could understand why the whole thing could have been um, pulled off, but instead they decided to go ahead with it. Yeah, and it's... it's it's testament to the you know the, the 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 boards and the players that wanted to come and be as professional as they possibly could be and i think it's been a magnificent summer um disappointing over the last few days where the last two test matches were a, a, a bit interruption but that's english cricket unfortunately that's what you get when you come over to play in england but i actually think the contest between the bat i don't know about you jared but i always think some of the best test matches over five days have been a great contest between bat and ball. And I think that's what it's been throughout this summer. You know, fair play to the West Indies and Pakistan for coming over. The boards, they probably wanted to help each other out because there's times in the future where Pakistan and the West Indies will need a favour of England and England will, will have to duly oblige because I think they've... I don't think they can under, you can underestimate how much Pakistan and West Indies cricket boards have done for the game of cricket in this country. Not just at test match level, but once we got the go-ahead to play at test match cricket, it meant you could get club cricket going, you could get the Bob Willis trophy going, you could get the blast going. And if now that didn't happen, you mentioned before, 10 positive cases. If, if that doesn't go ahead, then the state of English cricket could have been... It could have been un un unthinkable. Un uh, you know, it really could have been unthinkable. So, I think it's been a good summer. I think the uh, the two venues have been first class. I think it just looks visually. It's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, and I've enjoyed listening to to the the TV coverage because uh, there's some great players or great the greats of the game commentary on on the coverage of cricket but some of the insights that have been given have given us now and the players now in this player zone i think visually it's been a, a great spectacle and uh, and fantastic for the armchair viewer in there it's sitting at home i do have an important question for you though harmony mm. have you ever stayed at the travel lodge in derby I haven't stayed. Oh, actually, yes, I have stayed in the travel lodge. Actually, I can tell you. A, 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 not a, I'm trying to say work out if I can tell the story or not. <laughs> Just a quick story. We stayed there before a, a one-day game, and Neil McKenzie. I'd managed to get Neil McKenzie to come over. South African, fantastic guy. Great, one of the best, funniest guys you'll ever play cricket with. Superstitions coming out of his everywhere. And Dale Benkenstein, who played a lot with Benke. So McKenzie comes over with. We're playing at one o'clock against Derbyshire in a, in, a, in a 40 over game. And Mackenzie's drinking Diet Coke, sitting at the bar. Me and Divinito and Benkenstein. Every time Mackenzie went to the toilet, we're just chucking a little vodka into his Diet Coke because I thought he was just drinking Diet Coke. And he, after about seven times he had been to the toilet, the barman did say, You do realize he's drinking Jack Daniels and Coke. Uh, first, ball the, first ball the next day, off stump went everywhere. <laughs> Mackenzie came in, and Benkenstein, who was captain of Durham at the time, apologized to his. African counterpart to say, uh, sorry, Mac, 
them vodkas probably weren't the ideal preparation for your first game for Durham. I mean, it is incredible. I remember a couple of years ago, the Australian team were in Zimbabwe and they were complaining about the uh, the accommodation. And yet all these teams are willing to, I think Pakistan State, I think, I'm not sure if the West Indies might have gone uh, via there. I think the women's um, players from the West Indies are going to be staying there and the Australian players are staying in the Travel Lodge in Derby. I mean, the Travel Lodge has probably never had uh, you know, <laughs> higher profile guests in, in a very long time. But but it also, it, it tells you there aren't that many places that you can play, you know, in a secure location. Yeah. I mean, look at the NBA. The NBA is playing in uh, Disneyland yeah. and for the same reason, because they have the access to the courts and the cameras and uh, the accommodation. So you'd have to say that Old Trafford, uh, Old Trafford and the Aegeus Bowl certainly should be re- rewarded for their efforts. Of course, our producer yeah, used to work for Hampshire, so he probably just wants us to plug them <laughs> anyway. But they have done an incredible done thing. brilliantly. Absolutely. Jared, I don't think uh, you can... I don't think you can sort of say high, high enough praise what, what from a spectacle, from a viewer's point of view, what it's been like. Um, and when you come to reward them, whether it's test matches against Australia, uh, I'm not so sure. England have got, seem to have an order of Lords, Oval and Edgebaston seem to be their priorities. But it just shows you when times are troubled and we need things to get moving. There are ways and means. And you know, Derby have, have, have done a great job, are going to do a great job hosting the Australians. And fingers crossed, the Aegeus Bowl and Old Trafford will put on another great spectacle for the white ball leg of, of this summer. And it is worth saying, and as someone who has gone out of his way in his career to point out all the things that cricket boards have done incorrectly, uh, it's worth saying that the South African women couldn't come over for their tour uh, to play the the English women. And uh, the ECB, within a week, have got the West Indies women to come over. So, again, great news for the Travel Lodge and Derby, but also for cricket watchers. I think one of those games is going to be live uh, broadcast on the BBC. So there's been some incredible stuff done uh, by English cricket. Just want to talk about something a little bit more crickety for a moment. Uh, bad light. I'm not sure if you saw Don Bess uh, talking about this, but we'll just uh, cut to what Don Bess said about the bad light situation. It's no excuse, but it was really dark out there. Um, I was stood at square leg and as a pulled one off Joffre and I did not see it. Like, all seriousness, if that, if that goes near someone or like is hit straight at me, I genuinely don't know what I'm going to be doing. And I think as, a, as the sort of... I guess playing in those sort of conditions, we've got to be really switched on with it and actually we've got to start thinking, I think, a little bit about the players' well-being because you've got 10, 11 there having to face up someone like Joffre as well. In those conditions, it is seriously dangerous. Obviously, we all want to be playing cricket. We all want to get cricket on. But I think as well, there's got to be a little bit more common sense in terms of players' well-being. Um, you take a bass um, and the number 11 in terms of that, you don't like you don't want to see them getting hit or anything like that in terms of it being real dangerous now this is really interesting because basically all summer we've been we've been hearing the media um, written press uh, you know radio TV everyone's saying the same thing oh it's ridiculous they're not going out there and playing the first time that the umpires basically get together and say okay we're going to push through this, even though it's a little bit dark. And uh, what the, one of the fielding uh, members is saying that it was too dark to be out there. Yeah, and I, I, I've got a degree of sympathy with the players on this this aspect because, you know, you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. You, mm. There's no real way of winning for a player. If I get offered bad light, if I'm batting, I'm going off. For the simple fact is, anything other than this is my career I'm dealing with. If I nick one off here and all of a sudden I'm under pressure the next time I go out to bat. And I, I remember talking about it in Josh Butler's terms. You know, Josh Butler is fighting for his career. He's fighting for his, his livelihood. And all of a sudden he goes out in front of bat in bad light. Is it fair that Josh Butler ends his career because, you know, the, the, it is di- it is difficult conditions to to play in? But on the other hand, is I do see the other side and say, well, we've got to be trying playing as much as we can. I thought I thought during the last Test match there was a lot of a lot of talk from a media point of view about get them out there and they should be playing. But I think a lot of that was down to the outfield was wet. It was bright sunshine, but the outfield was wet. So there is an element of, well, can we play when it's a little bit, when it is damp? If it was 2020, we'll probably be on the field. Do we move? Can we be flexible in our timings and move the game forward half an hour like we do in most places around the world? Can we not have lunch until you know a, a little bit later? Or can we split the, the, the lunch and tea breaks? All these were talked about. 
because we didn't really have anything else to talk about because there was no cricket being played. And I think you find that always happens when these elements come. But the the, the first in, in initial thought of mine is we're bad light. The safety of the players is so paramount. It's ridiculous because if you know, if it does become dangerous and like what, what Don Bess is saying there, we shouldn't be anywhere near a cricket field because we've seen, we've had, you know, we've seen, and it, I, I hate bringing this up, but we've had a fatality in the last 10 years. Mm. That wasn't in bad light. That was because of this, you know, that that ball is hard. The hardness of the cricket ball makes the game dangerous. Um, and if you can't see it, then I think there's there's questions. Those questions have to be asked. So, you know, for me, I think there was some good points made during that last test match, but there was also some points just talking for the sake of talking when, you know, the umpire's hands are tied. These are the rules of the game. Yes, it could be flexible. Sometimes common sense can come in, but at the end of the day, if it's dark to a point where the, the, the game is getting to be dangerous for a player's point of view, no matter how much the broadcasters want you to play, you can't you can't carry on. You've got to come off. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with myself, Jared Kimber, and former England bowler Steve Harmison. Still yet to come. We'll continue to review the Test Match Summer and discuss the Joss Butler conundrum. And you're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June, which makes it the perfect destination for your summer holidays this year. To make the most of your trip, you can also experience eight matches from the series in Barbados, including... England against Scotland and England against Australia. In under a month's time, you could be spending your days exploring the vibrant streets of Bridgetown, drinking rum in the sunshine and experiencing exotic Bayesian delicacies in the culinary capital of the Caribbean. There truly is something for everyone. There's no need to wait a second longer. Head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today to book the trip of a lifetime to Barbados Truly the best place to be a cricket fan. Philander again, and that one is driven for four. Lovely shot from Zach Crawley. No, it feels great. I mean, it was, um, it was just how I imagined it, and it makes you want it more. So um, hopefully I can get um, a few more to come after this. Wide of the crease this time. It's on the pads of Crawley, and he has pinged that wide and mid on for four. Lucky enough to work with him in the winter in New Zealand last winter. And he just absorbs information. Very intelligent young man. Hendricks once more, and that's bang down the ground. That's an absolute perler from uh, Zach Crawley. He's going to score a few more. Um, no, I thought it was a fantastic innings. It'll, it'll give him a huge amount of confidence. Obviously, he won't get ahead of himself, and, and he'll be hungry for more. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be the, the start of a very special career. That was an, a bunch of different people talking about Zach Crawley listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. I'm Jared Kimber, and uh, with me is Steve Harmison. Um, Harmy, Zach Crawley has made this incredible score 
and gone on, you know, well beyond 200 and probably should have made 300 realistically. Uh, not that long ago for Australia, there was a guy called Matt Renshaw who came from nowhere, was picked because he had uh, test match technique and an unflappable nature. He made 181 off the top of my head. Um, and he hasn't played many tests since. There's a lot of pressure being put on Zach Crawley at the moment. There has, yeah, but what I've seen so far, I quite like. I quite like the temperament of Zach Crowley. A huge challenge now in uh, in red ball cricket, going to, uh, to the Asian leg, whether it's India, Sri Lanka, uh, however many Test matches, um, we we don't really know what's gonna gonna happen in the in the winter from the format and where we go. But are we going to be trial by spin and spin early? So. I think all three of the, you know, the the, the top three will will have a, a a huge, a huge bearing on how good England's winter is. But I like his temperament. I like the way he he looks to score. He gets himself in a position, and I'd, I'd say to any young batsman, if you get in a position to try and be positive, i.e., if you try and look to score, you're going to be in a better position to defend the ball because you you watch the ball, you're getting, you know, you 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 know, you're making positive movements into the ball, and that's what I like about him. He's he doesn't seem to get bogged down. He doesn't seem to get stuck. The long levers he's got seems to get himself out there and get you know, smother the ball, especially the swinging ball in England. Um, I don't really want to put sort of comparisons with somebody like Matthew Hayden, but when I look at when I look at Crawley in this Test match, it was like Hayden. It was like a right-handed version of Hayden. That the margin forever when you bowled at Matty was very very small when he was at his most confident, because if you pitched it up, you drilled it straight back down the ground. If you dropped it short, he was quick onto the cut and he was onto the pull. And the stature of him, the big sort of six foot four frame and that bat coming down straight, the bat looked sometimes bigger than the man. <laughs> and when you had that as a bowler, it was very, very intimidating. And that's what it must have been like for the Pakistan bowlers in this series. The challenge for Zach is to go to the subcontinent and as well as Rory Burns and Dom Sibley is go and educate themselves even more in Test Match Cricket. And if they come back... I think England will have a chance in the Ashes in 18 months' time if Zach Crawley, Dominic Sibley and Rory Burns are still England's number one, two and three and have been had a good good winter um, come the first part of, of, of next summer. So mere time next year, if everything goes well and we play five or six Test Matches abroad, if them three have had a good winter, England will have a better chance of going to Australia and challenging because you've got to go over there and you've got to have a good top three to stand any chance of winning in Australia. That 10-11 side with Cook, Strauss and Trott did it. And I think if England have got any chance of doing that, they're going to need that number three. One, two and three, but obviously Zach is the, is the topic of conversation. And so far, I think he's, he's, he's looking quite good. Well, I think also that I had a look at Rory Burns. I think we were talking about Sibley perhaps on uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, uh, you know, I said he had one of the highest averages of any opener over the last couple of years. And Rory Burns is just above, uh, you know, average when it comes to an opener as well. I think that England, the, the biggest problem they could have is that one of one or even two of these players could really struggle in Asia, could have a real tough time and their averages could drop. I don't think that's an, any reason that they should be dropped before they get to Australia. You have to now... Test cricket right at the moment has never been harder for batsmen. Mm. It is incredibly tough. It's been a real funk and batsmen aren't getting the ball away. The bowling attacks around the world. It's quite clear that all the cricket boards have got together other than New Zealand and decided to make wickets quite friendly. I think you have to really think differently about how um, players are going, especially when they're travelling away from home. So I think regardless, what, what they really should be doing is making a pact with these players and going, look, we are going to give you all these away tests, including, you know, um, all the way through to Australia. This is what we think you can do. You don't have to average 45 or 50. Realistically, 35, is as long as you're taking a lot of balls out of the game, is a very good way of setting up for the, what, it, what should be the strength of England's team, which is the middle order. Yeah, I agree with that. But the, the one thing about the game of cricket, Jared, and you know more than anything because you've been in the dressing rooms, that, that cricket is played mentally. It is such a tough game. And all of a sudden, if you are now doing all right in England but struggling away from home, then when you do go away from home, the added pressure of everything that goes with an Ashes trip... It just, it just, it's just something else on the shoulders that you, you don't need. So, I, I do hope that Sibley Burns and, and Crawley are England's number three in, in in Australia because it means they've they've had a good run at it. I like Sibley. I think Sibley has got better with age as he's got 
more educated in the game. I think Burns is going through a tough time a little bit where I think people are finding him out. And it's now up to Rory Burns to go away and try and work out how to how to sort of overcome these next little hurdles he's got in his in his in front of him, whether that is going in Asia and playing against um, subcontinent and a lot of spin bowling, and then coming back to England when England have when when teams have come to England and found him out a little bit. So, I think it's going to be an interesting time over the next I don't know seven or eight Test matches for the top three. But if there are still positive signs after that point, going into the back end of next summer, then I think England are going to are going to be in a good place going into what will be a, a great a great Ashes series. Because, like you mentioned before, England's strength is in that middle order. But we've seen many times before the reason why we do get into trouble is when we're 20 for two, 20 for three. So there's so there's so much riding on that, on that that top three to, to stay in the side and get experience and get confidence, playing in different different types of Test matches. Josh Butler has been named Player of the Series. Uh, he obviously brought up his hundred, so that was his second hundred in. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but 40 odd Tests, we'll say. Uh, there is a very big chance that, no, for all the talk, he will not be England's wicketkeeper in the next test because it will most probably be in the UAE against India. Uh, perhaps uh, Sri Lanka is a possibility as well. Uh, but realistically, probably in the UAE or in Asia somewhere. And uh, England have already hinted that Ben Folks might be coming in and be the wicketkeeper for that test. That would be absolute madness, in my opinion. Absolute madness. Uh, look, Jared, you've sat with me for two winters now and you know how much I've, I've, I've been probably Josh Butler's biggest critic. <laughs> biggest critic. But the way he's played in the last, what, five or six test matches, what England have invested in time and in you know making sure that we want him in our side, we believe he is our best option, we like him in the team, he's a good right-hand man for Joe Root. For them to leave him out now, and I, I don't see how Josh Butler plays as a batsman. Never mind if he if he's not playing as a wicketkeeper, he's not playing. I, I just can't see that because he doesn't get in at four roots there, he doesn't get in at five Stokes is there, and he doesn't get in at at six because Pope's there. So for me, I think England made a mistake, a little bit of a mistake, even though he did perform very very well in bringing Ben Folks into Sri Lanka. But I thought the the, the cloudy the, the the muddied the water a little bit and put a lot of pressure on Joss Butler because all of a sudden if Joss Butler's not performing then all of a sudden everybody's asking why is Ben Folks not playing why is Ben Folks not playing Joss Butler has just got player of the series in this he has to stay on the side he has to stay on the side and I've got a, a full one a full 360 on, on Joss Butler from the start of the summer saying how much pressure he's under his glove work for me has got better even though he dropped a catch yesterday I thought the catch he took down the side was a magnificent catch I thought he's kept wicket relatively well throughout the series and he's and he's got runs on the board and that's what England needed they needed runs on the board he stood up and be counted when Ben when Ben Stokes left the left the bubble and that for me is why he should stay on the side I, I just don't see any logical reason for Ben Folks to come into this team. You know, it, is he is is Josh Butler that bad a wicketkeeper that we need somebody who is th that is that is different? I don't. I just don't see it. I really don't see it. And what? I think it will not a backward step. I just think you will be putting a lot more pressure on on Josh Butler to pr then bring him back when the English summer starts. I just I just think it will be I'll be doing it for trying to be smart for the sake of being smart. At the end of the day you've got something that's starting to work. You've got a top three that's actually looked as though they performed quite well this, this summer. You've got a middle order which is quite powerful and you've now got the person you have stuck with through thick and thin for over 10, 12 test matches in Joss Butler. And he's just got player of the series. To now leave him out, I think that would be madness. Just on his wicket-keeping, I, I don't necessarily disagree with everything you've said, but on, on just on his wicket-keeping, he has two career stumpings in first-class cricket from a lot of opportunities, mm. and he's missed five stumpings, uh, five stumping opportunities when he has been in test cricket. And a couple of those have, been, uh, have gone on to lose matches, not that 
you know, he, he could have he could have done them on another day, and they haven't. It just happens to be, uh, unluckily for him, they have actually lost England some matches. You, so you can understand it, but it does seem, it, basically, from the time he has come in as a specialist number seven batsman, and if you can name me another one in the last ten years who's played in Test cricket, Army, um, I owe you a beer. Um, you know, it doesn't happen very often. It's been incredible the kind of pressure he's been put on because he was put in the team in this ri ridiculous position about a specialist number seven. He then um, takes the gloves when Bairstow is injured, then they next time Bairstow gets injured, they bring Ben, ben Folks in. Then Ben Folks base runs, it, and then he gets in in a form funk, and he, and he finally gets out of it. And now they're thinking about not using him. It is absolutely incredible. But let's hear from the man himself, because he did talk about uh, the the pressure that he's been under and the, the confidence that he he struggled with. A couple of games ago, probably thinking I was about to get dropped. So um, you know, certainly it's, it, it just proves to to me how um, you know you're never far away. Um, you know, I think you never got as maintain that belief in yourself. I've certainly questioned myself at times um, in the last few weeks, but um, I found a really good headspace um, to sort of keep hanging in there and, and you know, sort of that realisation that you're never really that far away um, from both good things and bad things happening. You know? So when it when it gets good, you, you know, you've got to stay very level and, and know that you've got to keep working hard because things can change fast. Um, but it's maybe that positive outlook and and um, belief that you can you can do good things um, has really served me well in the piece. You're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two, and as promised, myself and Steve Harmison will select our England teams for the winter tours. Well, I'm, I probably won't actually. I'll probably just get an army to do it. But uh, it's time now for uh, breaking the boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, you need to train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. And we've got David Smith with us. How are you, David? I'm very well, thank you, guys. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad at all. Uh, can you take us through uh, yeah, how, has the, uh, how has cricket been going uh, since the resumption? So in, you know, the recreational game. I think it's been incredibly popular, to be honest with you. I think there was always a worry that you know, without any cricket this summer, all the, the legacy that was created last, last year with the World Cup and the, and the Ashes, that, that would be lost. But, you know, I think the availability for players on a Saturday, junior teams, you know, it, it's, been, it's been really, really busy. I think every club's just trying to maximise the time that's been available since the resumption. And has there been, have some, especially younger players, perhaps not come back because they've gone to play other sports like golf that are a little bit safer? Or have you not really seen that as much? Yeah, we've not seen. I think people were worried about that, but we've not seen that. You know, the membership numbers have still been really, really busy. Uh, it's been popular. You know, there's been lots of. I think as soon as cricket was was given the green light, people were keen to get back to it. And you know, hopefully, you know, although golf and tennis are great sports, is obviously we want people to be playing cricket. Um, you know, so people were very keen to come back to that as soon as it was uh, you know possible to play. And I'm assuming there's just a lot of like sore, medium pace bowlers who have had to come back after too long of a break. You know, almost almost a year out of the game. You know, perhaps uh, they've been sitting on their couch a little bit long. Maybe not quite in the finest fettle that they need to be in. Uh, how have the uh, old trundlers gone uh, coming back? Well, speaking speaking from experience, not very well to be honest. <laughs> I've been played played my first game on Sunday and. Uh, and uh, yeah, the body was very sore sore on Monday. To be fair, but uh, but no, look, it's just been it's just been great to get back out there and obviously see you know people loving the game. You know that's ultimately what we're trying to we're trying to create at the Institute of Cricket is just that love of the game. So, and as far as the Institute of Cricket goes, I mean, obviously this is going to be a very short season. If I'm not even sure, a seasonette, let's call it. Uh, <laughs> what what are you guys? Are you guys already looking forward to what's happening in the winter? Have you got a lot of plans around uh, keeping people fit for the winter? Yeah, absolutely. You know, our our, uh, our program goes out pretty, you know, pretty swiftly after the season ends, and, and players are looking to get back involved playing and and leading into the trial season. You know, with with the sort of pathways kicking off with the county. So, so yeah, we're, our program doesn't really have any downtime. Uh, we get straight back into sort of one to ones and our academy programs that we uh, that we run all, all throughout the year. Uh, and it, and it's great because players, you know, want to main, maintain their uh, you know their skills throughout that period as well. So it's really really good. I'm assuming things also change, and having worked in you know talent development a little bit, quite often uh, there's so much cricket that you don't actually get time to work on specific skills. But this year, um, you know, a lot of people doing it in their backyard, but also yeah. you know through the winter, I'm assuming people will probably be working on you know little things like this is my guess. By next year, everyone's going to come back with a knuckleball, even in recreational <laughs> cricket. Yeah, look, clearly the you know the winter is probably the best time to work on your game, and and you know it's sort of a 
the summer phase, I always try and look at it just sort of maintenance and, and just trying to enjoy the hard work that you've put in over the winter and enjoy hopefully putting that into practice. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's difficult to tinker with too much technique in, in the summer because ultimately you want the players to go out there and enjoy playing. And how can find, um, sorry, how can people find out more information? So you can visit the instituteofcricket.com uh, and also completecricket.co.uk as well. That's where all of our information is on our website. Thank you very much, David. Cheers, guys. Thanks for having me. That was the Breaking the Boundaries feature with the Institute of Cricket. Breaking boundaries on TalkSport 2 with the Institute of Cricket. For the best chance of making it in professional cricket, train with us. Find out more at instituteofcricket.com. So, Harmi, you're going to have to come up with your winter tour a little bit <laughs> a little bit yeah, sooner. Yeah. It might take me a bit longer, actually. I think I'm going to just pick an entire team of wicket keepers. So I was <laughs> thinking, uh, and not Butler, just every other wicket keeper I could come up with. It's, it's going to be a difficult selection process because all the euphoria of Jimmy Anderson does Jimmy go does Broad go um, which fast bowlers do we go I think the biggest conundrum they've got is the spin department because I don't see too many uh, many people standing up and saying uh, I want to go to on a winter tour to the subcontinent and show you that I can be England's number one so I think I think that the batting order is quite settled I think Burns, Sibley, Crawley, Root, Pope Stokes will be the your, your top six for me Butler stays there um, just because he is he has done what you've wanted him to do he's eventually getting to a point where he's in the team and he's a, an established member of this test match team now I think this series has just proved that so to go back on that I think will be counterproductive in jo- for Josh Butler um, and then you've got I would say Wooden Wooden Archer as your, your two seamers best I like Dominic Bess's character. I want him to get. I want him to get wickets. It's, want... it's funny how often people say that because I think we almost have to say it at this point because he's not even the number one spinner in his county. Yeah. Um, he can obviously bat a bit. He can bowl a bit. I, it was fun, quite funny. I was watching his interview. Uh, the, in fact, the one that we played the clip from, I think earlier. Um, I was watching that and I was thinking, this is a young guy. He clearly is quite intelligent. But he was talking a bit like the young guy in the office that you think, oh, a couple of years later, he's going to be a really interesting sort of leader of cricket teams. But right at the moment, I'm not sure that he can do anything at test match level. And it makes him a very a very bits and piecesy player. The only thing I'd say with that, Jared, is he's going to the right place now where there's going to be, yes, a little bit more pressure on him, but he's going to have some help. There's going to be a second spinner in this in this unit, and there's probably more pressure on that second spinner, which will probably be Jack Leach, um, all being well, fitness and, and health and everything that goes with it. So you're probably looking at the top seven as a, as a batsman. Your two spinners in the side will probably be Bess and Leach, and then you've got to find probably find two seamers, and whether you, you go with one of the old guard in Broad or Anderson, with a Wood or an Archer, or you play the two fast lads and go Wood Archer. Um, uh, that would be a, an interesting challenge. I would actually like to see England go into, if they're playing India in the UAE, play with uh, Wood and Archer as me two seamers. Stokes is your, your, your third seamer with two, two spinners. Um, whether that's got enough control when things aren't going well, I'm not so sure. <laughs> That's why I'd like Broder Anderson up my sleeve because it's a long series. I'd like them there. But it'll be the backups that, that'll be the intriguing one. Do England tech... England obviously will, will tech folks. Do they tech Jennings as a spare batsman because he does well in the subcontinent? But you can chuck one more name in there who had a, an interesting day yesterday coming on as a, a subfielder throwing four overthrows. And that's young Bracey. You know, they see him as a spare opening batsman, but they also see him as a wicketkeeper. You know, the, 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 he, he does keep wickets. So, all of a sudden, do you have to take a spare wicketkeeper in folks and take that 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 um, that argument all out of the equation, the butler folks, by not taking Ben folks, because you've got Pope could Pope could deputise at the drop of a hat if anything happens. Bracey can de- deputise at the drop of a hat if something happens to Joss on the morning of a game. Um, and then you can ship your, your, your spare wicketkeeper in, which gives you a, another space to take a, a younger spinner and potentially a, another fast bowler alongside a, probably Wokes, probably Robinson. So I think they're the names that I've got in front of me. The spare spinner, I've got no idea. 
I'd loved I'd love Rashid Nali to be available because I still think there there are best spinning options across all formats. But the noises that the ECB are making through Silverwood and through you know through the the management team is that if Rashid's not bowling in red ball cricket, we're not that we're not having a look at him. And both both they were both in that thirty man unit that went into the bubble. And then they got left out. So it looks like Rashid, Ali and probably Bairstow have had their day in the Test Match Arena. Quick one, Harmi. I'm going to pretend that you're Steve Smith. Oh, I almost said Steve Smith. I'm going to pretend that you're Ed Smith um, and that you're wearing a cravat uh, while you talk to me. <laughs> if you, it, you know, you were selecting this team, does Adil Rashid uh, go to the overseas tours, whether it be India or Sri Lanka? Um, I couldn't be any further socially from Ed Smith <laughs> if I even tried. And I love Ed Smith. He's a great guy. Um, but I don't think he goes now. I think the, the, the ships have sailed. I mentioned before three names, Ali, Rashid and Besto. Still fine cricketers. I still think they're the best two spinning options we've got in this country um, at this moment in time. But it looks as though the, the ship has sailed. They don't seem to be part of what England want to move on to next. Uh, and I've listened to Chris Silverwood talk about we're planning for the future. And some people will look at that and go, well, hold on, you can't plan for the future. You've got Braun and Anderson, 35 and 30, 38. But they're different. They're different kettle of fish altogether. So for me, somebody out there in county cricket and Bob Willis Trophy where that spins the ball put your hand up and say, right, I'm going to go and get five for my county. And I'm going to follow it up with another five for my county. But the simple fact is, there's a spot there for you on an overseas trip as potentially a third spinner. Stick with Bess. I think he'll come good. Bring Leach in. I think Leach is, is probably our, technically our best spinner of turning the ball. And somebody out there put their hand up and say, right, I'm going to, I'm going to try and get in that England side for the winter. Thank you very much, Harmy. This is the Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back via the following on feed, now available on the free TalkSport app. The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. And this is your gentle reminder that Barbados is the best place to be a cricket fan. With eight matches from the ICC Men's T20 Cricket World Cup Series taking place in Barbados this summer, including the final... You can experience the summer of a lifetime by booking today. Aside from immersing in world-class cricket in the sunshine, Barbados is the dream destination for all travel enthusiasts. It is where adventure meets paradise, the culinary capital of the Caribbean, and better still, the birthplace of rum. If you are keen to unite with cricket fans across the globe for what is set to be an unforgettable summer, then head to visitbarbados.org forward slash cricket today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 